This is the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brahman. Welcome, everybody, to podcast number 36, the Drew Goodman Podcast with Julie Brahman. The only thing that's going to be a little bit different, pretty big thing, on this particular podcast is that Julie's not going to be here today. Julie's uh, taking uh, a little time off. I'd say she's away on assignment, but that'd be a, a, a bold-faced lie. She's, uh, she's got some things going on, but uh, Julie will be back next week, and uh, we look forward to that. Boy, these are strange and uncertain times, to say the least. You know, when you work in sports, your natural inclination is to try to stay in sports and not dabble other places because so many other places tend to um, be negative and and uh, people gravitate towards sports to take them away from the mundane, to take them away from uh, things that uh, give them stress. Uh, unfortunately, there is no way to extricate uh, ourselves from what is the most important thing in everybody's lives, not just here in Colorado, not just in the Rocky Mountain region, not just in the United States, but around the world. And that, of course, is the coronavirus. Uh, I'll, I'll begin this podcast by talking a little bit about my day because I do worry some and I do get stressed out about uh, different things. And the way I have always dealt with those things is by working out. I'm kind of uh, maniacal about that. So I started my day by taking uh, a nice long run with my dog, Stella, and it was gorgeous out. And if you didn't know what was going on, you'd say, boy, it's another typical, uh, beautiful spring day, early spring day in Colorado, not a cloud in the sky. It was warm enough to be you know, outside in, in short sleeves, uh, the mountains in the background. It, it was just spectacular and it made me feel a lot better. So uh, my, my word of encouragement to all of you is, you know, whether it's in the confines of your own house or if you can get out and separate yourself because we do want to keep social distancing, et cetera, uh, you know, go for a hike, go for, for, for a walk, run if that's your thing, bike if that's your thing, but it, it will do the mind and the body uh, a lot of good. And that's how I started my day and uh, it worked uh, for me. Number one, even though I told you I worry, just like a lot of us, we will get through this. This too shall pass. Uh, we've gotten through uh, other things, maybe not uh, quite like this, but the analogy I keep coming up with to you know think back and say, have we been here before? Well, there was great uncertainty naturally after 9-11. And at that time, I was actually down in Phoenix with, I had a young family. In fact, I have three boys now. I only had two at the time. Uh, Jacob, my oldest was three. Zach was a year old and Gabe was not yet born. And we were down in Phoenix with the Rockies. And uh, it was a year before I took over uh, as the play-by-play -play guy. I was hosting our pre and post game coverage at the time. Uh, so I, I was with the club and uh, we were staying with my uh, in-laws, and I'll never forget that that morning because I was the second one up. My father-in-law was up, and I walked into the other room, and he said, something just happened. He kind of whispered it. That's going to change the world forever. Well, that's a pretty profound statement for, you know, seven-something in the morning. And, you know, obviously, he, he was right on the money. I was trying to comprehend it, but he, he turned, you know, he, he turned the TV on and 
you know, everything that we all know uh, unfolded in front of us. And I remember going to, you know, a mall that was pretty much closed, uh, ran into a couple of uh, Rockies players. You know, they didn't know what to do. Nobody knew what to do. And there was great uncertainty because at that point in time, just like right now, we don't know how long this coronavirus is it's going to be until it, you know, runs its course and we can, uh, you know, get on the other side of it, if you will. But with that, for those that are old enough to remember, if you recall, you didn't know when things were going to return to some form of normal. You had no idea if there would ever be what was normal in the past. And we didn't know if, if there was going to be other attacks. You didn't know if there were going to be suicide bombers rolling into, you know, middle America. You had no idea. And it was as scary as scary can be. This brings a great deal of uncertainty as well. But I know we will get through to the other side. And in these situations, you have to trust what you know, medical experts talk about. And, and hopefully, you know, I know there's people out there that still think, you know, this is this is being overblown. That's fine. I hope we all have a great conversation six, eight weeks from now, 10 weeks from now and say, yep, yeah, uh, it, it never grew to anywhere close to the numbers uh, that they were talking about. And maybe that's because we're doing our due diligence now in, uh, you know, kind of self-quarantining and, uh and making sure that our interactions are at a distance uh, and that sort of thing. You know, sports has always been a healer. And that's kind of what we were talking about a little bit uh, earlier. I'm reminded of a great quote by the, the late former Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, Earl Warren. And I think many of you are probably familiar with it. He said, I always read the sports section first because I like to read about man's accomplishments as opposed to turning to the front page where it is so frequently about uh, man's failures. And now we turn to the sports section and there's nothing there. We can talk about projecting when seasons will start again. The NFL is talking about free agency and guys are signing contracts. And yes, the draft is coming up. Other than that, everything else is at a virtual standstill. I was flipping around the channels last night and I checked on our channel, AT&T Sportsnet, and we were running a condensed Rockies game from a year ago. It was actually Peter Lambert's debut uh, at Wrigley Field, which is pretty cool because, you know, I forget different things. I do remember that Lambert had a great game at Wrigley and, you know, he, he was pumped up. He hit 96 miles an hour in the first inning. And uh, there was a funny little bit in that game because I watched a, a couple of innings to get my kind of baseball fix, if you will. And he comes up for the first time. Buddy had talked to him for a while before he actually walked up to the plate. And he goes up there, and I think the first pitch, he lines to right center field for a base hit, and they, they get the baseball, and Anthony Rizzo did something really funny. He hands it to Peter Lambert, like Lambert was going to put it in his back pocket and run around the bases with it, and uh, they kind of had a nice little laugh, and, and then uh, you know they got the ball naturally uh, to the dugout. But that was kind of cool to, to look at. But other than that, you, know, you bounce around, and you're seeing recent college basketball games that were played, and, and you have a chance to see that. Um, I saw a great 30 and 30 on ESPN on Bill Parcells and Bill Belichick, which was fascinating because they go back to uh, 
you know, the giant days of the early and mid 80s where young Bill Belichick was trying to, you know, gain the respect of Lawrence Taylor. And that was a struggle initially. And then, of course, Lawrence Taylor and, uh, you know, those those great giant defenders came to uh, adore him. And we know what happened with Bill Belichick. But it was interesting to watch. But that's that's what we're doing. I mean, you have to get away from the, you know, constant coverage of the coronavirus and and how it's affected the markets and how it's uh, affected our daily lives. And and you just need a reprieve. And sports normally brings that. And now we have to watch sporting events that took place in the past. And you know what? We're going to learn to read a lot more. We're going to learn to, you know, maybe pick up the phone and, and instead of texting, converse with somebody we haven't been able to converse with in a while. But we will get through this. One of the things we're going to do today is talk to uh, a, a real good friend of mine in the business, a, a guy that um, I'm sure all of you are familiar with. If you read on MLB.com, he's covered the Rockies for years, Thomas Harding. Thomas is, is, is not only a wonderful writer, but he's just a wonderful soul. I, I cannot think of anybody who has ever met Thomas Harding that does not adore uh, and love Thomas Harding. He's just a, he's a sweetheart of a guy. Um, he, he's always in a good mood. Um, I know he's one of Buddy Black's favorites. And uh, we're going to have Thomas on and we're going to have a, a nice long conversation, not only about what's going on in the world, uh, its effect on baseball, its effect on maybe particular Rockies players. But we're also going to talk about spring training and some of his observations because spring training was, you know, getting ready to get to those final stages, the the last couple of weeks or so where things really ramp up. So, you know, a lot of things were already kind of put to bed almost in in spring training 2020 for the Rockies. So we'll talk to Thomas Harding coming up shortly uh, about that. And um, and then on the other side, we'll have some thoughts as well. But right now, it's time to talk to you about my friends at Ideal Home Loans. They're a Denver company, and they've been around since uh, 2001. They do a marvelous job uh, lending people money and making it a really simple process. Give them a call at 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000, Ideal Home Loans. Uh, you know, rates obviously are phenomenally good right now. So if you're going to refinance, if, uh, you know, you're going to purchase a new home, if you're getting ready to, you know, later on this summer or even into the autumn, they're the people to call. If you have to consolidate debt, uh, give them a shout. 303-867-7000. They are, uh, their employees are salary-based lending specialists. So they're not going to give you the over-the-top sales pitch. They don't need to do that. They have an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau. Um, the first thing they do is they listen and then they lend. So they're going to listen carefully to what your situation is, what your desires are, and they're going to come up with the right answers for you. Guaranteed. That's how they got an A-plus uh, rating with the Better Business Bureau. Again, it's Ideal Home Loans, 303-867-7000, 303-867-7000. And as they do every week, they bring us our interview of the week. It's our friend from MLB.com, Thomas Hardy. Always good to hook up with an old friend, Thomas Harding, now of MLB.com. And uh, Tomas, we get to see each other on a daily basis uh, during the season. We cross paths briefly down in spring training. I know you're down still in Phoenix, but it's strange. You're, you're packing up to come home, and this whole thing is strange. Have you been able to get your arms around it at all? 
Uh, no, I haven't. And I'm almost at the point where I believe the best way to go about it is realize that you can't get your arms around it. Realize that things change um, usually in a 24-hour period, but often by the minute. And probably the best way to handle the stress and fear that goes with this is just to understand that uh, things change so rapidly that you make plans, but you understand that um, plans could change. And certainly with all of the unknown that is out there, you could drive yourself completely crazy and still not get to any answers. So I think that uh, we just have to find a way to work through this and make sure we take care of each other in this because there are so many different things, not just in sports, but in life that um, there are so many effects that maybe we don't see immediately, but they're really hitting someone else. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what? Uh, because I've known you a long time and, and people know your writing from MLB.com and covering the Rockies for years and years. Uh, I, I, you know, they know you a little bit, but they don't know you as, as friends do. And that is so typical of you because you always have a bright disposition and uh, and look at the positive side, which, you know, that that's uplifting, I, especially in, in times like this. You know, the analogy I'd make, if you have some sort of medical condition, they always say the last thing to do is get on the Internet, because by the time you read on the Internet, you'll be like, I might not make it through the evening. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>, right. <laughs> Right, and here I am writing on the internet, but that is that is certainly the truth. And especially, I think the key here for all of us is to read information and stay away from hyperbole. I mean, there are a lot of people on the internet. You can be a doctor, you can be a lawyer, you could be the ruler of the free world on your tweets or whatever. But the truth of the matter is, we all are good at some things. And there comes times in our lives where we need to defer to the people that know what they're talking about. And this is clearly one of those cases. Yeah. Well, actually, I play all of those roles on this podcast, Tomas. So, uh, That's right. Yeah. yeah. We, 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 have, we all can have our fiefdoms. But um, when, uh, when it seems like our civilization is uh, teetering here, maybe it's time to actually listen to people know what they're talking about. And, and, and for some of us, be quiet or provide the information that people need when you have it. Yeah. Let me ask you this, because you did have the opportunity after baseball somewhat closed down to talk to various players with the Rockies and maybe on, on some other clubs as well. We know that athletes, you know, typically they're going to be in their 20s. Uh, they're, they're uh, you know, in the greatest shape of anybody uh, on the planet Earth. Just being in one's 20s, even if you weren't an athlete, you feel impervious to things. Has this affected and are these guys taking this seriously, at least in, in, the, few, in the few folks that you've talked to? Well, I think they're taking it seriously because they have no idea what the heck's going on. I mean, and that, that's the thing is that there are things that equalize. You know, they, you're right. They do have, um, they do have the athletic ability, the, the ability to play a game for a whole lot of money. Um, in a lot of cases, a lot of things that are taken care of for them. But in this particular case, None of them were around during the uh, Spanish flu epidemic of uh, pandemic of uh, 1918 and 1919. Um, none of them were around for World War II, uh, which which was kind of the big one here. But guess what? Almost all of us weren't around either. So we're all in this together. And I think there is some realization. It kind of reminded me of after 9-11 that there, there were a lot of players that felt all the emotion. And I think there was some helplessness. And maybe it, it, it even hit them a little bit differently because 
they aren't exactly used to helplessness. Um, when you become an adult and you are a, a star type player, you don't begin sentences with, gee, can I afford? Gee, can I get this thing I really need? And whenever these things hit, it kind of is a reminder that, that we're really, we're all pretty, we're, we all have a lot of similarities. Yeah, no question. I guess the only person, by the way, uh, that I could think of that we that we all know that was around um, during the pandemic of, of 1918 and 1919 with the Spanish flu and, of course, World War II was the cowboy, Tracy Randallsby. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> oh, boy. Yeah. And, you know, he, he, yeah, these things, it, it is funny because um, we've had the discussion, we've had a family discussion. I was talking to my wife who is very intelligent about these things, that sometimes a lot of the history it's in a book for us, but there was a time when we were younger where people who actually lived through some tough times talked to us and gave us some perspective on it. And sometimes we lose that and have to learn lessons for ourselves that maybe the people that were around during them could teach us. Yeah. Let me, I'm going to jump completely off subject because things enter my mind and I want to get this one out and then we're going to kind of get back on subject and we are going to talk about the Rockies a little bit, your observations from what took place uh, up to the point that, that spring was halted. Who are your two favorite? I'll give you two because, you, you know, you can never just settle on one. Who are your, are your two favorite Rockies all time to talk to? And it may not have been because they were the best player, but they, you just found them compelling interesting, intriguing, had something to say beyond the normal, you know, 22nd, you know, player type of soundbite, if you will. That is a tough one because I'll tell you what, I've been blessed covering this team in that you don't have, and when I, frankly, when I got into baseball writing back in the 1990s and was kind of came out of the 80s covering some minor league, but in the 90s getting to the major leagues, there were players that had reputations of being very difficult. The Rockies tend not to have those guys. One guy, though, I will tell you that really sticks out to me is LaTroy Hawkins because he was a really good player. You don't stick around that long not being a good player. But the second time he came around to the Rockies, there were just a whole lot of various things that came up, not about baseball, but about life. And he had, you know, his daughter was getting older in, in, in elementary and middle school and high school. And also he was nearing the end of his career where he was going to kind of go into the world with the rest of us. And I saw him be very curious about the world around him. And sometimes you don't see that from players because things are sort of set for you from, from uh, high school on, maybe, maybe in college, but but things are set for you. And he was entering the adult world. And that was the thing that I really liked about him was that not only was he entering the adult world, but he knew he didn't have to figure it out. And he did talk to people from different walks of life. Uh, he, he was one of the first players that I saw that actually reached out to some of the, you know, the, the joke was they called them propeller heads, the stat heads, but he actually reached out to ask them not just what they think about a stat here, but what brings them to that point. So he stands out in my mind. And, um, gosh, there, there are quite a few of them. Um, Brad Hopp is a good one. Brad Hopp just, as, as his career went, uh, he would open up about, uh, about various things of how he took care of himself. I thought that was 
fascinating. Um, they had Brett May, the catcher here, also another guy that that was looking at looking at the world through various different ways. And there are more of them. Um, what I find too is that I've kind of graduated age-wise out of the age group of the players, so there may be less now than there were back then. But uh, there are some there are some very good people that, that have played this game, and the Rockies have had a tendency to have um, personalities that are not difficult to deal with. Yeah, you know, that was so well put. I've said many times people come up to you and I regularly and say, hey, what's this guy about? What's that guy about? And I said, I, I can only literally think, and I'll, I'll keep their names out of it, one or two people that I really didn't care for that wore the Rockies uniform. And I, and I mean that over a 20-year period. Uh, the Rockies, and you give Dick Monfort, uh, you know, at the top, a lot of credit because that clubhouse has been populated by really good people. And um, I, I, I concur a thousand percent with you on Latroy. Latroy uh, was a deep thinker. He was well read. It's funny because I, I remember coming, to, you know, sitting and talking to Troy about some different uh, pieces of literature that he was reading and a couple of things that I had read as well. And that doesn't always take place in any uh, former fashion these days, because I think this next generation doesn't read a lot because they're growing up with, you know, the Internet and, and, and these phones, it's, et cetera. But uh, a, a lot of guys in Latroy would be right near the top of the list. So I would uh, I would agree with you on that. Um, I'll tell you what, you know, Adam Adovino is now at the Yankees and Scott Oberg, who's still with the Rockies, two really bright, sharp guys that um, you can talk to uh, about a myriad of subjects. And I know you have. Yeah. And I will, and I will also go back to what I said earlier that. I've kind of aged out of the age group of the players. I do find it really interesting uh, how the players turn out after they retire. Some really struggle and some that you wouldn't expect to struggle really struggle because they're suddenly thrown into a world where um, as they're playing, they think, oh, I'm just doing a job here. But the fact that um, whatever you do is on the newspaper, on on television, on the Internet, your name is on the back of your shirt all the time. When you go to um, King Supers to buy toilet paper, let's say, you get recognized. When that fades away, there's a difficulty that has hit a number of players that you almost didn't expect. So sometimes it's better even to see them on the other side of that or to see them kind of go into the real world. And instead of just being so-and-so ex-player, they have a full adult identity. And that is nice to see when it does happen. And sometimes it's jarring when you see somebody struggle. Yeah, and I'm fortunate because I work with three guys that you know very, very well that uh, epitomize guys who are deep thinkers, guys who you know, were able to move beyond the clubhouse and beyond their careers and, and transition nicely into their next lives. And that's obviously, you know, Jeff Houston, Ryan Spielborgs and, and Corey Sullivan. Uh, th those guys have done a you know great job. And, and it's not a surprise because they were, um, as I said, guys that had um, eclectic interests and, and thought deeply about things beyond the game. So let me let me ask you this. Um, are you hearing anything in your pipeline and in, in with the number of sources that you have, even with with the relative uncertainty and, and things changing uh, literally by the minute? Um, ha have you heard anything pertaining to baseball and and when things could start, if it's still a possibility that they'll try to play one hundred and sixty two, even if the season's delayed by, you know, uh, 45 days or more? 
I find it very hard to play 162 games simply because of the need for off time within there. You have, you, you, yeah, you could jam a season of games, but think about this. The schedule exists now. A lot of it, a lot of plans have been made based on the schedule that exists. And it's really hard to change the schedule totally to jam in a bunch of games. Um, I do think that May 1st at the earliest is what you could get. Um, but for some background, uh, the, the 1995 season, you know, the strike that it wiped out the 1994 playoffs, um, after things got settled in 95, it was roughly, it was 24 days after the strike concluded. Um, I would think that once a decision is made to get the game up and running and a date is picked, I think it's going to be 24 days from that date. Now, I'll be, I'll be kicking around a few, a few things mentally here. Um, the, the CDC's recommendation of not having more than 50 people in one place. The question for me would be, is it possible? Do the players on the field count as 50 people? Or could you have, if you, if you see this thing subsiding a bit, who knows what's going to happen with the, with the, with the, um, rate and, uh, of disease here. But if you see this thing subsiding a bit, could you play a spring training with no players and then, I mean with no fans, and then open up the stadiums at opening day? Uh, I look at that and I think, I wonder if that's, I don't know if that's possible because it seems like there'd be a lot of logistics and we have a totally unpredictable curve of this disease. So what I'm thinking is that eight weeks from now, you know, after this eight week period, if things have subsided, I would guess another 24 days. Yeah, I was thinking, you know, very quick, I, I was thinking more in the neighborhood of, of three weeks. That's the same thing, 21 days, 24 days um, to, you know, you got to get pitchers ratcheted up again. Um, at, at some point in time when there is uncertainty, um, once this, you know, the bubble flattens out, we've heard a lot about that, you know, players are going to, I think right now, I think players are going to be pretty diligent, but then there's that place in time where not that they stop working out, but but maybe it, it's harder to have the same focus and the same, um, you know, stick to itiveness when, when the uncertainty has now gone on for four five, six weeks. So uh, if it looks more like, you know, well into June, I mean, even if it's July 1st, do they play? Do they try to play through October and then condense the postseason so you can get uh, I would think the minimum number of games. Thomas would have to be somewhere around 120 to have some legitimacy uh, to a season. Is that is that a number that that sits well with you, or do you think it's different? I think 120 would sit well with me if you're going to have a season and then uh, maybe the same type of playoff that you, that you've had in the past. Um, one of the things that I would like to look at and. Certainly, I don't want to look at it now because I don't want to think of its season being totally truncated. But remember the season, which I believe was 1987 in the NFL, when they played a nine-game regular season and had a Super Bowl tournament, they called it, where there was the, there was an expanded playoff, um, and that's how they got to the Redskins beating the Dolphins in the Super Bowl. I'm just wondering if there is... And that may have been 1986. I, my, my years may be messed up there. No, I think, I think it, was eight, it was 87 because 86, uh, being a New York lifelong New York Giant fan, as you know, 
The Giants uh, dominated in 86, beat the Broncos 39-20, which the Bronco fans naturally want to forget. Yeah, exactly. So um, is there a way to, to work this where maybe there is sort of sort of a strange, almost like a college World Series type thing at the end of a Major League Baseball season? Um, one of the issues that they're going to have to deal with here, and th- this is hitting at a time when, um, after next season, the CBA, the collective bargaining agreement, is up. Is, is up. So um, one of the issues they're going to have to deal with this season is how do they give service time credit, meaning if you only play 120 games, um, do, does the player get credit for a full season? Because there are a lot of guys who are in the last year of their contract, and free agency is on the horizon for next year. But if you don't get that service time, and I know officially – a season is 184 days. I'm not sure what the cutoff is for a year's service time going into the following year. But a lot of guys could lose their ability to go free agency if the season is shortened and they don't deal with that. So there will have to be some negotiation that will go on before they get the baseball teams back on the field. Yeah, absolutely. All right, let me go to this. You were down in spring training, and when this occurred – where spring training and, and baseball facilities were closed, uh, you know, more than half of, of spring training had taken place. What, what were the most prominent observations that, uh, that, that you took away from the Rockies in 2020 as they prepared for the season? Well, it's funny you ask that because today on MLB.com, and hey, I, I encourage you to go there, not just to read me, but maybe to get away from some coronavirus coverage, I have a story of the five key takeaways from spring training. Um, one of them being using David Dahl at the top of the lineup. It looks like something that they're finally going to go with, and Butt Black has fooled around with trying to get Charlie Blackman lower to second or third in the order this year third. But if you recall, DJ Mayhew hit the top of the lineup for quite a bit before he left. And then last season they put Charlie, um, I'm sorry, Trevor Story at the top of the lineup and actually moved Blackman to clean up at the end of the season. But Blackman, with his ability to hit home runs, he's a proven run producer, driving in runs, getting on base. He could really make a difference in the third spot right ahead of Nolan Arenado. But can David Dahl handle the top spot in the lineup? It's something he's done a lot in the minor leagues, and he has some of the power and some of those abilities that Charlie has had at the top. Um, I think that the starting pitching could actually be better than expected because of uh, because of the way that Herman Marcus and John Gray have matured. And you've seen Kyle Freeland kind of arrest some of the problems that hurt him in the past. Now, if he can get his fastball to both sides of the plate and throw a changeup when he needs to, could he be back to the guy he was a couple of years before? And Antonio Cinzatella, I really saw a lot of growth out of him. Um, other things I'm looking for, I'm looking at in spring training, Wade Davis, I didn't necessarily see the velocity, but he was building up toward the season, but he wasn't walking people. So that made a difference for me. Um, now, there are some questions here because of what happened all off season with the Nolan Arenado situation. Is he, is, is this team going to be able to handle some tough times on the field? Obviously, they've been dealt a blow that everyone else has, and maybe coming into the season they'll just get to playing baseball. But if they struggle, I, I thought all along if they struggled and 
you, people started talking about this team falling out of the race, would it all turn bad in that clubhouse? And the other thing, though, is they can't have a starting pitcher hurt now. I mean, Peter Lambert has a forearm issue. Uh, Tim Melville hasn't pitched all spring. They can't have any starters hurt. I don't think they have the depth for it. Those are the things we're looking at. And another story that's on the site right now, I kind of um, I talked quite a bit to Kyle Freeland about where he is, and he really feels like he's gotten his ducks in order. The, he's gotten the um, he's he's gotten his delivery smoothed out, meaning he doesn't have those pauses in it, and he's really comfortable with it. And he's starting to throw the changeup that we talked about. So those are things I'm looking at, and really we were kind of heading towards a season where. If you looked at at just the names on the paper, you looked at the Rockies as a fourth-place team. But the two years they made the postseason, you could argue that they were a second-division team each of those years, too. So you're looking at a team that could surprise people. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm with you, and I think you can say this for every team. They need good health. I mean, the Yankees in spring training, you know, one of the favorites uh, to potentially be in a World Series, yet, uh, you know, they, they were dealing with some health issues, and, and maybe this protracted. Uh, coronavirus situation will help them out, get some guys healthy. But for the everybody needs to have good health. Is my point. The Rockies and, and you nailed nailed it. I think perfectly is the Rockies uh, with that rotation. I do think it can be better than many people believe, but they have zero room for injuries. It's not like the sixth and seventh guy and eighth guy down in Albuquerque. You're going to be you know, top prospects where you go, yeah, they're ready to go. The closest thing the Rockies have that to that is Ryan Rollison, the, the left-hander they drafted out of, uh, what was it, Ole Miss uh, a couple of years ago. You know, good-looking young arm. He's getting closer. But, you know, the next guys right now are Ubaldo Jimenez, um, Peter Lambert. You really worry about that situation. You alluded to that. Uh, Ryan, what Castellani? There's not, there's not guys that you go. Oh, they're okay if they have to call up, you know, somebody from AAA. Quite frankly, they're not right now. No, they're not okay in in that respect. Um, at the back of the rotation, as spring went on, I think it, a couple of encouraging signs was Chichi Gonzalez started to show you some of the some of the reasons why he was the number one pick of the Rangers a few years ago. The velocity is there, and it's a devastating slider. I am interested to see where things go with Jeff Hoffman because last couple of times out, once in a Cactus League game, once in a minor league game, he pitched very well. Numbers looked good. Pitch action looked good. Everything was good except I noticed that they backed him off. He was throwing nothing but a fastball and a curveball. Can he do that as a starting pitcher, or are we seeing a guy that is kind of trans, kind of transferred into a spot starter, relief role, and he's not done that well in the past, but if he can do those things well, he can be an asset. But really, be, behind those two, that's, that, that's where your depth is, because Rollison is going to, going into the year, was going to be on a pitch count this year of around 150, 155 innings. So how much was that going to help you at the major league level? Yeah, no, th those are all good points. Um, you know, the lineup real quick, Thomas, is interesting in that at face value, you have four all-stars, right? You have Arenado, you have Story, you have Charlie Blackman, of course, you have David Dahl. We all know the story with David is he's uber talented. He's got to be able to stay on the field. Uh, what they need is depth 
Speaking of pitching depth, they need depth in the second half of that lineup because all of the advanced metrics did not rate the Rockies' offense very highly uh, when you consider ballpark factor at the end of 162 games in 2019. Can this offense be improved? I think the key to improving the, the, the kind of second half of the lineup is Daniel Murphy. Uh, he hurt himself second game of the season last year, jams his hand into the ground, has a stretch, stretch fracture or whatever they call it, mallet fracture of that uh, left index finger and really never got to be the Daniel Murphy we've seen. If you look at him over his career, he is right around 300. There's some power in there. There's an extra base hit involved in it. If he can be that guy, that helps lengthen out the lineup because – I'm expecting at some point in the next couple of seasons, I don't know if it's this season, it could be next, or it could be one more year down the road, that Ryan McMahon could really develop into an offensive force. He had 24 home runs last season and also was third on the team in walks and was leading the team in walks before Trevor Story and Nolan Arenado got, took control of the strike zone. So very quietly, he could become a force there. But I think right now they need more out of Daniel Murphy. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. I think that's fair. I do think Ryan McMahon, uh, when I was down there, I noticed he, he was much shorter to the baseball. Uh, he struggled with, with plus fastballs a year ago. And despite that, still hit for a decent average and, and produced 24 home runs. I don't know if fans realize, Thomas, as we do, how good an athlete this kid is. He's going to be, for me, a plus defender and could be a plus defender at three different infield spots. And I also think he will be a 30-plus home run, middle-of-the-order guy. The faster that happens, coupled with the resurgence of a guy who's done it many times in the past, the aforementioned Daniel Murphy, now you're talking about legitimately lengthening that lineup. Yeah, they would legitimately lengthen and some of the things that I saw, and after just having some discussions with the hitting coaches, I don't know how it's going to hold up because you've seen a lot of inconsistency over his career. But Ramel Tapia is doing a lot of things right right now. Uh, bulked up a little bit, and also he's calmed down in the batter's box. And the, the last few weeks of spring training, as Jeff Salazar gave me this number because what they're doing, as you know, if you've been around this team, chase rate is kind of the buzzword around here. They don't want you chasing out of the, out of the strike zone. Last 26 times that he had the opportunity to chase, he only chased nine, and he hadn't chased in like three games. It's like this is a different guy, and if you talk to him and you get past the language barrier – he knows something about hitting, and he comes with a thought process. He's not one of these guys that's just completely wild swinging, and, he, and, and he's just going on talent here. If you can get past that, you understand that he is doing a lot of thinking here, and the coaches are seeing that also. Dave Magadan converses with him in Spanish, and it, it does look like there's some mental maturity there now. He made a change in the swing. He's gotten rid of the hover slash leg kick and is going with sort of a toe tap. Is his timing on? Because if his timing is on, it means he can pick the right pitch to swing at, and and he's shown he can drive the ball if he can pick the right pitch. But you've got to see that over a period of time in the major leagues, and that's something we haven't seen yet. Yeah, he he has to emerge. He was the next guy I was going to mention. Um, he has the talent, and honestly. He's going to play quite a bit. 
it's pretty clear, and it was late in the second half of last year, that the Rockies will platoon he and Desmond in left field. And because Desmond is going to face lefties, and we know there's more righties than lefties, that by the process of uh, mathematics means Rymel Tapia is going to get uh, a lot of at-bats this year. And he's going to get more at-bats if he can produce as he was early in spring training. So uh, I'm with you. That's that's another guy that if he can emerge, uh, you're talking about, again, a, a, a deeper uh, Rockies lineup and a more productive lineup and, and probably returning to a situation where they're uh, winning far more games on the road than they did a year ago. And that's what they did two seasons uh, past when they won 44 games in, in 2018. What are you going to do going forward as, uh, as I let you go, Thomas? What, uh, what's on the agenda as you get ready to head back to Denver? Um, other than knowing that I've got a couple of assignments over the next couple of days just to just to kind of feed people some baseball, and we're all, we're all doing this as MLB.com all together. There are a couple of assignments that we're just going to feed people some baseball, something to look at while they're obviously dealing with life itself. Baseball's a great respite. Beyond that, I have no earthly clue, no earthly clue whatsoever. Um, with the, with everything shut down here. Um, and news that that seems to be emerging by the minute that affects baseball, I just have to keep myself flexible and see what happens. I hope I'm still writing and and, and providing some baseball content. And at times, um, I'm, what I hope for myself is that I can provide some things that uh, – take you totally away from what's going on. I, I, I think there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. Nothing wrong with obsessing about the chase rate, of looking at pitch location, of uh, just hearing from some of the fun things that, that that guys are doing when they're not obviously worried about uh, about what's going on in the world. I mean, I, I certainly hope that that will be part of what I'm able to provide. Yeah, absolutely. You can uh, read Thomas. I'm sure all of you do anyhow on, on MLB.com. You catch him periodically on the MLB network. And you know what else you can do? You can jump on with us periodically. We'd love to have you. Hey, I look forward to it. Maybe we could do a live podcast at some point. How about that? How about that? A live podcast? Um, yeah, we did. We did one. Uh, we've done a couple at the Maven Hotel downtown, which is uh, which is a great spot. Thomas, listen, I know you're heading back soon. Safe travels to you and your family, um, and I, and I will see you soon, bro. Okay, thanks for having me, man. Let's keep talking ball. Uh, ab- ab- absolutely, Thomas, you're the best, man. I'll talk to you soon. All right, we'll see you. What a good man, Thomas Harding, and uh, we'll have Thomas again on uh, in future shows. His thinking, you know, on some of the Rockies' topics was right along with mine. I, I do think that rotation can be better than people think, but it's razor thin. I mean, uh, there have been a couple of seasons for the Rockies, despite pitching at altitude, where they had great success and they ruled the same rotation for most of the year. 2009 comes to mind where I, I think they rolled the same five guys until well into September. That's unusual. They need to stay healthy. Uh, I think Herman Marquez has a chance to be an elite pitcher. I think John Gray can be, you know, upper echelon as well. I think Kyle Freeland can, you know, hopefully return to somewhere. I mean, it may not be quite as dominant as he was two years ago, but return to where he is a really solid guy. And uh, I think Chichi Gonzalez, he showed in September, is, is, he gets farther removed from his Tommy John surgery. He can be, you know, a very solid big league starter. 
And, and Sensatel is a great competitor uh, with, with decent stuff. So uh, if those five guys are the guys, which I think they will be, uh, knock on wood that they're able to stay healthy because it, it drops off fairly considerably after that, especially now there's uncertainty with uh, Peter Lambert. We'll probably learn a little bit more about him uh, on some coming shows in terms of his health. It's time for the percolator. Got to tell you about Boyer's Coffee. Boyer's, it's uh, a coffee for all occasions, and they've been brewing and roasting coffee in the Rocky Mountains since 1965. Uh, their beans are slow roasted at altitude. Roastmasters double check each and every batch once it leaves their vintage roast. Roasters. They also have a great cafe. We talk to you about this all the time. It's up uh, on the north side, 7295 Washington Street. Great vibe. It's an old schoolhouse. So if you're anywhere close to the neighborhood, or even if you work downtown, you want to, it's not that far from downtown. So if you, if you want to get away for a little bit, relax, bring your laptop. Um, there's good food there also. Go up to uh, their cafe, the old schoolhouse, 7295 on Washington Street. You're going to love the atmosphere, and I guarantee you'll kind of be a regular up there. And uh, if you're just passing through, you can you can order online and pick up your uh, beverage in the cafe and, and keep on going. So it's Boyer's Coffee. Uh, we're thrilled they're a big part of what we do on this podcast. And uh, they were with us at the Maven uh, last week when we were doing a live show from the Maven Hotel downtown. They were supplying everybody uh, with their wonderful, wonderful coffee. You can find it at Safeway and King Supers. Um, so go buy some Boyer's Coffee. All right. Before we depart, I want to share one uh, story with you that is kind of analogous to what we're going through right now. And I remember and started the show with the comparison to 9-11 and the uncertainty in the aftermath of 9-11. And we clearly were able to get through that. Um, it will have a lasting effect on anyone who is old enough to remember it. It'll never go away. We will never forget all of the lives that were lost and, and all of the families affected but we did get to the other side and sports was a big part of the healing process. I remember baseball in particular. Um, I grew up a Met fan, grew up in New York and I, and I will never forget when Mike Piazza in that first game back and the, you know, the, the Mets were wearing FDNY shirts and they were playing the Atlanta Braves, which was appropriate because of the great rivalry, especially at that time between the Mets and the Braves and I think everybody was a New Yorker, whether you were from Selma, Alabama, Los Angeles, California, Glendive, Montana. It did not matter. Everybody was a New Yorker in that period of time. And when Piazza hit that home run late in the evening in the first baseball game after 9-11 played in New York, oh, my goodness. I mean, there, there's no way you could have a dry eye. For me, I remember that well, and I remember the first event that I was involved with. In fact, I will never forget the first event I was involved with. At the time, you know, it was the autumn. I was doing a Big 12 football each week for Fox, and the first game that I had, which was the first weekend that there was college football again, I was in College Station, Texas at Kyle Field, which has always been and continues to be one of the great football venues in our country. It seats over 100,000. I think back then it was in the high 80s in terms of the number of people um, that 
it could hold. And, and when Texas A&M plays football, it's always at capacity. Well, they were playing Oklahoma State that day. And they had gone out, a bunch of students, and to raise money for many of the families and many of the funds that were being put in place after 9-11. For anyone that held a ticket in the top deck, and there's three decks, three sections, if you will, three tiers of Kyle Field. If you were in the top deck, you purchased a red shirt. If you were in the middle deck, a, right sh- a white shirt, obviously, in the bottom deck, a, uh, a blue shirt. And when that game began, when they sang the national anthem, and again, there wasn't a dry eye in the house. I'm getting goosebumps right now. That entire stadium was red, white, and blue. And, you know, when they do these things periodically, they have a whiteout or, you know, up in Boulder for buff games, they'll, everybody will, you know, wear black sometimes. But, you know, they are going to be people who didn't get the message and you're going to see some gold mixed in or, you know, certainly colors from, you know, the visiting team. I'm sure there were some Oklahoma State fans that had made the drive down from Stillwater. Maybe some flew, but a lot of people weren't flying then, obviously. Um, but they didn't wear orange. There was, depending on where they were sitting, it was either red, white, or blue. And you can look up the footage of that scene at Kyle Field. Go on your computer after you're done with this podcast. And I'm telling you, it was mesmerizing. It was unbelievable. There was great unity. And, you know, that's what we need now. And that's, I'm sure, what we will have going forward. And as I started the podcast, uh, I'll reiterate uh, my sentiments. We'll get through this. This too shall pass. We'll get to the other side. And um, if we can be a, a small part of uh, taking your mind off of those things on this pe- on this podcast, uh, that's something we're going to endeavor to do each week. Uh, our big thanks again to Thomas Harding for joining us. Uh, Julie will be back next week. Thanks so much for uh, being with us uh, again on the Drew Goodman Podcast. Take care of each other. Stay safe. Stay well. And we'll talk to you in a few days. 